Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Last time we spoke, we touched upon the fact that you've got a keen interest and got a firm love of history. Where have you found your curiosity drawing you lately? Where, what have you been interested in? Where's your mind been taking you? Um, well, actually, funnily enough, um, I just read this um, uh, incredible book by a guy called David Abelifa. Um, it's a history of the oceans. And um, it was, I mean, it took me forever to read it. It's like 900 pages and very dense. But it was a really... I mean, it's about all of human history, so um, there's your answer. But like, it, what, what I found interesting about it was that it was um, it was a different perspective on human history because it was just about sea and uh, ocean going, trade, traffic, exploration, whatever it might be. And um, it, you know, I like to think I have a, a medium holistic view of human history, but it taught me acres and acres of things I didn't know, um, and gave me lots of. I, I quite often have sort of notes of just sort of general areas I want to find a book about. Do you know what I mean? And that that list has expanded considerably. I guess it must give you a completely different perspective on a lot of things. Like, did you, so was it kind of focusing on the entirety of human history through the ocean? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, it started in like twenty thousand BC. Wow. <laughs> and, and went up to like nineteen sixty-seven or something like that. So it was just like holy shit. Wow. I saw the. I don't know if you saw the new Kingsman film that came out across the festive break. I did not. I'm afraid. But you didn't miss much. (laughs) 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 But I found it really fascinating because what they do in that is when it came out, the way that they play with history and that and the way that they play so fast and loose with it and kind of just really throw, you know, what we can, what I would presume to be general kind of knowledge about history out the window Mm. and kind of just do what they want with it. Sure. And it kind of got me thinking about the way that kind of society's views have shifted towards history and our kind of disregard for it now almost in the way that people are very much wanting to use it to kind of fit their own narrative. Uh, Absolutely. I mean, I I think it's important to add that every generation reshapes history in its own way and the study of historiography is an interesting thing. Um, And, you know, I think that if you have an awareness of historiography as a concept and indeed I can't sound this without sounding like an old fart, but like as you get a bit older and start seeing the way that society changes meaningfully during a lifetime, start seeing that, I should say. Um, 
hopefully you learn a little bit of detachment from it. Do you know what I mean? Um, and a little bit of kind of like, hmm, rather than kind of going, oh my God about it, you kind of go, that's interesting. Uh, at the same time, I mean, I think, um, you know, the study of history gets politicized very, very um, profoundly these days in a way that I don't think is hugely helpful. Even um, if it's happening, even as it's happening, if you look at what's going on with the pandemic, the way that it's been so hugely politicized and the kind of damaging effect that it's had on our ability to deal with it. Absolutely. Uh, well, completely. And and indeed, having done and been fortunate enough to do an American tour last year, I mean, you think it's bad over here? Fucking hell. Like, that, it is so, it is, it, it is a political argument taking place through the proxy of like pandemic restrictions and like it, it's it's uh it's kind of scary and quite sad because i love america deeply but it, like that is a society that has some serious fractures in it right now i guess part of the reason we kind of or i brought up this tangent of history is that you have that line on the resurrectionists or it's kind of a theme throughout the album but you have that line we've got a crystal crystal clear vision of what the good old days used to be sure for you what are yeah. the for you what are the good old days <laughs> well i mean in the in the specific context of that song um uh is uh you know parts of that song are a hark back to a song i wrote called i knew before i got famous which is was a song that was a kind of a tribute to a, a moment in time in my life there, there were the, the people mentioned in both songs were with the bar staff of nambuka a bar in north london in roughly 2007 and i used to in between stores i used to sleep on the sofa in the hallway and um you know it was my dearest friends and we we were sort of Karakian for one of a less pretentious term you know we were young and beautiful and invincible and we never ever ever went to sleep and <laughs> you know played a million shows and put on club nights and um uh went to strange squat parties at 5 a.m and do you know what i mean it was it was a sort of magic time and but the thing about it is is like you know um without wanting to get too kind of like hallmark about this, like ha I feel like happiness is sort of a process rather than a state of being. And I had a good time at the time. Looking back, there was something so magic about the magic becomes apparent in the rearview mirror. And part, part of the reason for that is that like we were not self-aware, if we were not self-aware enough to realize how special what we were doing was. And if we had been self-aware about it, it would have broken the spell. You know, um, so it was magic partly because we didn't really understand what was going on. I guess the other thing is at that point in your life, you're kind of working through so much shit that's so fresh that it can be hard to kind of separate that from the kind of the enjoyment of what's going on and the kind of magic uh, of it, like you say. Yeah. And you're just, you're figuring out who you are as an individual and all the rest of it. I mean, it should, I should add to this though, that like, I mean, the line about the good, the, the good old days in the song is, is, is delivered with sarcasm. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, it's, we're all very good at kind of like filtering out well, sort of rearranging our memories into a narrative. Do you know what I mean? We all do this and there's nothing quite so jarring as finding an old diary or something. Do you know what I mean? Because it's like, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, and, you know, I, 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 there is a part of me that feels very strongly that like, I'm obviously attracted to nostalgia. I think most people are, but like, it's not necessarily the healthiest of emotion to spend all day bathing in, you know? Um, and I had a fantastic time there. But one of the things... I feel quite strongly, which I feel there's a fair amount of discussion of on the record is that like, as I get older, I feel very strongly that there's a, there is a sense of dignity and acceptance, you know, like I can't live 
like I could when I was 25 forever. I mean, partly because hangovers are just so much worse now. <laughs> but, um, you know, the, you, and and there's two ways of reacting to that. You can get sad about the fact that you can't live like that anymore. Um, you can try, well, there's more than two. You can get sad about it. You can try and live on like that and become the creepy old guy in the corner of the party, which is a thing I'm at pains not to be. As someone um, who works or, in a bar, you see a lot of them. A lot of people trying to really, relive yeah. that youth. Well, the, but the thing is, I look back now and I can remember being 23 at a squat party and there was some creepy guy in his 40s in the corner and then it wasn't that long ago I was, I was like, oh no, I'm turning into that guy, <laughs> like shit. Um, uh, but then the, but the other thing you do, is, like I say, there's a dignity in acceptance. There's a dignity in saying, I, I did that. I did. I like to think I did it pretty fucking well, actually. Um, and, and it was great. And now, then I had a different phase in my life and then, you know, there are phases to a life and the... Both the most kind of like useful way on a kind of emotional level and dignified way of approaching that is to kind of accept each of them as they arrive and to wish them well as they leave. When you're kind of reflecting and you're looking back, do you find it quite easy because you know you have a record essentially for every period of your life now at this point? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do. I mean, and and yeah, there is very much a sense that both songwriting and recording is a is the process of pinning a butterfly. I mean, it's a snapshot. It's a it's a Polaroid photograph or whatever. Um, so yeah, I mean, I can try that. I mean, it, particularly since my kind of early twenties, I can tell you where I was most days of the year by looking at my past gigs list as well. Do you know what I mean? It was like, oh, I was in Latvia. Uh, do you know what I mean? And um, and that's quite a useful aid memoir. You mentioned a few moments back as well the idea that in your early twenties, you know, you don't really know yourself, and that's a kind of process that happens as you move through and past sure. that past that point. As you've done so and you know you've come to know yourself better and you know who you are, how does that in turn impact your songwriting and your kind of perception of yourself in it? Um, I mean, that's a good question. In, in a number of different ways, I think that um, one of the things, that, and this is, I like to think apparent on the new record, is that one of the few conciliations getting older is that you're more secure in yourself. Do you know what I mean? And that you know yourself better. But in a, in a counterintuitive way, for me at any rate, um, the process of discovering that that you're standing on more solid ground enables you to fish in deeper waters. And what I mean by that is like, so there, there is, there is perhaps, well, there's definitely more like emotionally probing thoughts on this record for me than there have been on previous ones, even though I have written in a confessional autobiographical and deliberately self excoriating way in the past, you know, the fact that I kind of have a better sense of who I am and, you know, I'm married and I live in a house that I like and blah, 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 um, means that I can talk about my childhood, basically, in it, to, to pick an example, uh, with more more sense that I'm not going to completely, like, lose myself in, in, in delving into that, you know? Um, so... Yeah, it kind of, in a funny way, there is, it, there's a funny thing, like there's a song on the record, The Work, that's about being married and there is a certain type of person and it's always a guy, don't believe you me, who says something completely sort of facile about how, like, oh, he's married now, he's not going to write any more good songs. Um, and it's just kind of like, I mean, first of all, let's talk about how misogynist that statement is um but secondly it's just like i i think it's i think it's it's wrong-headed i think that the as i'm saying you know the fact that i have a certain sense of security about some things in my life broadens my palette of writing i can't just write breakup songs for the rest of my life um i've written more than my fair share already do you know what i mean um and and indeed still play quite a lot of them live so um you know uh, you don't need that and, and also i mean like you know that, that to take that song as an example it's a song about it's not a song about getting married it's a song about being married and there is a certain phenomenon in the music industry of people in their 40s writing songs about high school and i just think it's completely 
like duplicitous almost. Do you know well, what I mean? It it's comes like, back to accepting that the time happened. These people that can't move on from it and are still kind of chasing it. Right. Or, or indeed think that it's going to sell more records. Um, Which people uh, smell straight away. As soon as you start trying to chase sure. it, people are... But, but exactly. But, but ultimately, the process of being married is something that occupies much more of my time and my thoughts than the day of my wedding. Or indeed, kissing a pretty person on a dance floor at 3am or whatever people want to write pop songs about. There's a place for that. Of course there is. And, and it's all good. But like, I just think there's, that's, that's a kind of a sugar rush of a song subject. Do you know what I mean? And um, this metaphor is about to spiral deeply out of control. But like, it's, <laughs> I, there are more kind of like wholesome things to write about you know or at least more chewy things to write about i can't believe i just said that <laughs> speaking of metaphors you open the album on non-servium mm. which is this kind of you know that's a phrase that very much has its biblical connotations sure which is a metaphor that you return to throughout this record and you know throughout your discography at large are there certain visual cues religion being one of them and that kind of imagery that always feel kind of ripe for exploration that are kind of I, eternal in that sense yeah i mean i think i think that whilst i'm quite publicly an atheist i mean first of all i was raised in a religious family and secondly it is an incontestable fact that western for want of a less loaded term western culture was in large part based on the bible for well over a thousand years and therefore some understanding of it is a kind of necessary um, entry point to parsing most <laughs> most art, you know, most Western art. Um, so, you know, I, but and also I was raised kind of going to church and stuff, and I and I know the stories and know the language. And and I and again, I think it's pretty incontestable that the King James Authorized Version is one of the most beautiful uses of the English language there is, regardless of what one thinks about the subject matter. Um, uh, so it you know it, it courses through my life in a way, um, and I. I mean, I suppose you could say that it, it sort of, it's kind of, you could argue that it's almost like automatic gravitas. Do you know what I mean? It's like, you can um, borrow that. I mean, non-serving I'm specifically is John Milton, uh, Paradise Lost, um, which is uh, which is one, quite a, quite a read. I mean, <laughs> I'm not going to say it's a fun one, um, but it's, uh, it's something. I, it is something. It takes a while. One of the things I found fascinating about that, though, and I, I read it a long time ago, um, was that despite the fact that Milton is a Christian and a, indeed a Puritan, um, I just get the impression as you read it that he's slightly rooting for Lucifer, you know, or, or the very the very least, Lucifer comes out of that story better than anybody else. Um, he just sounds he sounds cool, and maybe that's a completely <laughs> like a historical modernist reading of it. But like you know, he ultimately turns around to God and says, "I will refuse to serve." Um, and and you're like, yeah, and and you get the impression that Milton's a bit like, yeah, about it as well. And and you're like, you're not supposed to be on his side, but anyway. Um, but it's you know the songs about art more broadly, and about the fact that I think that um, I I am apparently in some sense old fashioned in the sense in the sense that I think that art should be kind of um, it should not be subject to kind of like populism ultimately. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And that like art should be. Um, should stand on its own two feet and stand for the things that it believes in. What, what exactly do you mean there by not subjected to populism? 
Well, I think that we live in a world in which a lot of people look over their shoulder before they make artistic statements about how it's going to read on social media or whatever. Generally self-censoring and that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, that kind of thing. And it's not that I hold sort of that I secretly hold deeply sort of awful opinions or anything like that. In fact, for the record, I put them in the song. It says, you know, in terms of politics, it's like my my two first political principles are help the ones in need and leave people alone if 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 they're not. Do you know what I mean? And and then as a third one, which again is in the song, is like always try and doubt yourself and always try and question yourself and always try and question everything including those principles which I mean I, I know I'm a tedious motherfucker but like I tend to kind of try and rethink my politics from first principles about once a month do you know what I mean and just to sort of double check and and in the process change I've definitely changed and matured and, and, and developed more nuanced view of the world as I've grown older and seen more things and experienced more things I think most people do um, and certainly I think if your politics haven't changed a wit since you were 16 years old then you need to read more books um, <laughs> to be blunt um, so you know uh, but but this is it like I don't want to believe the things I believe because I think they're going to get likes and retweets uh, and I don't want to not believe in something because I think it's going to start a Twitter pile on. I think that's a shitty way to um, engage with the world Is songwriting something else that you can use to kind of challenge your own opinions does that help you solidify oh, yeah. certain views and things Yeah yeah definitely and actually I mean this wasn't quite the question but like one of my, my favourite songs in my catalogue are the ones that have changed their meaning since I wrote them um, or to me at any rate I mean because first of all I think that demonstrates a suppleness to a piece of work do you know what I mean that it can do that um, and, and a, a depth perhaps if I'm allowed to say that you know um, but I mean like a song like I Am Disappeared means radically different things to me now than it did when I wrote it in my late 20s and I think that's really cool um one can learn from one's own somewhere in another way, which is songs that don't go well. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I mean, there are uh, there are definitely songs I've written which um, I, I'm ne- I, I hesitate to say there's anything I'm never going to play again because I think there's something slightly self-involved about that. And actually, um, in the last couple of years, I've reclaimed. I had a, I have a very early song called Thatcher Fuck the Kids, which I didn't play for about a decade, and I started again in recent years and went you know what this is a great song and i fucking wrote it so <laughs> do you know what i mean and ultimately actually the one thing that annoys me about that song is the chorus line the, the title line which i think is kind of just a bit immature um <laughs> i think the rest the of the song is there, a lot though. better the heart is there you do know what i mean but it's like I, I just it just seems a bit kind of it's a bit sort of like kind of smearing shit on the walls do you know what i mean in the middle of what is otherwise a reasonably involved point <laughs> how long did you go without playing it uh, I, I probably about eight years or something. I, know, I mean, the other thing is that there was a certain type of person who only wanted to hear that song and didn't give a fuck about any of my other songs. And contrarian as I might be, that that annoyed the shit out of me. Do you know what I mean? And it was just like, you know, whilst I, as I'm now in a place where I will reclaim it and say, like, it, it's miles and away not my best song, you know? A lot of the songs on this new record, they kind of find themselves taking on quite specific individual topics. Sure. Which topics kind of heading into this did you want to broach? Were there any that you consciously wanted to look at and which felt the hardest to deal with once you kind of discovered that you were singing about them? Um, well, I guess the first thing I say is that I tend not to try and pre-direct my writing. Like things kind of arrive in the manner of their own choosing. And generally speaking, like I will... Um, uh, I will have like a line or two that arrives 
in the manner of its own choosing, which indicates to me what I'm about to write a song about. Do you know what I mean? But I don't, it's not quite sort of drawing up a list of topics and then trying to hit them. Do you know what I mean? Um, that said, you know, like there, there were definitely some moments on this record where I started writing a song and then stopped and went, Jesus Christ, am I actually going to fucking write a song about this? <laughs> like, um, I mean, it goes back to what I was saying about being more secure, but like, uh, you know, it's quite a big thing to me that I am talking about my father's transition in public not because i have any issue with it necessarily but it's just because it's it's been this enormous emotional event in my life and indeed in my entire family's life do you know what i mean and almost one of the hardest parts with that song specifically has been how other members of my family have reacted to its existence um not always with complete ease to be blunt um and that's been that's been a thing I've had to navigate. And obviously I bring it on myself, do you know what I mean? And and to a degree, a lot of my family are now aware of who I am and what I do because I've been doing it long enough and it's like, oh, for fuck's sake, he's written another song um, <laughs> or whatever. But um, uh, yeah, I mean, the only exception to that, like there was definitely, there was the last song I wrote for the record was Haven't Been Doing So Well. And there, I had a feeling that there, there was just something to say there that I hadn't said yet, you know, and I was listening back to the rest of the material I had for the record and feeling good about it, but just felt like there was a bit of a kind of conceptual gap of a thing that I did want to mention. And more specifically, it's like, this is not a lockdown record. Um, thank Christ. But at the same time, <laughs> to the sense that art, in the sense that art is supposed to be kind of reactive to the world around it, it would be ridiculous to try and make a record that wasn't in some way influenced by this global world historic event that we're living through. Um, and so it's a song about mental health, but ultimately my mental health has been, uh, I've had more struggles with it in the last two years than before uh, from in some, in some ways. So, you know, um, I did slightly kind of choose to write a song about that. Um, yeah. Last time we spoke to you, you mentioned the fact that you spent so much time in lockdown working on mixing vocals and treating vocals in the way that you produce them. How did that fit into that song, if so, in any way, and, and this record at large, and what you wanted to do in regards to that? Um, I mean, I'm, I think the thing about so, and, and forgive me for not remembering the exact details of what we were talking about, but like the we spoke you know, about I, like, Beans album, I think, and the way that you kind of yeah, worked in the yeah, and that and stuff. Well, okay, so I mean, my uh, my lockdown project was to kind of learn to be a producer in my own right for other people's music, a mix engineer, a recording engineer, and a, and a producer. Um, which has been a really fun journey, but it's, it's been interesting. The impact that's had on my own writing for this album is basically I got a lot better at recording stuff. Obviously, that's what we're talking about. But it meant that my demoing for this album was considerably more in depth than it has been for any record I've done before. And which meant that, you know, songs got reworked and the arrangements were pretty heavily worked out before we got into the studio in a way that hasn't necessarily always been true for me. Um, but it meant there was more a sense of intention. Do you know what I mean? A sense of kind of purpose. It, it wasn't, we weren't kind of like throwing stuff at the wall that much. Do you know what I mean? It was more, I was just like, this song goes like this. Um, that's not to say nothing happened in the studio that didn't happen in the demoing process, but like, um, uh, the guys the, the, in the Sleeping Souls, you know, they, they, they know me well. We've, we've made albums more collaboratively at certain points in the past. Um, and they've been great and I'm very proud of them. But like in this particular instance, I did sort of say to everybody, listen, I'm I'm very sure about how most of this record goes. Um, and it was a case of like sending people the demo parts and saying, beat that almost, do you know what I mean? It was like, here's the guitar part and there is a melody in there, the lead guitar part. Can you add to it? Can you embellish it? Can you make it more interesting? And often the answer to that would be yes. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I definitely, the process of knowing how to kind of put recordings together myself influenced that. 
one of the kind of final songs I wanted to touch upon too was A Wave Across the Bay. A Wave Across mm. a, a Bay, sorry. Sure. In terms of, we don't need to get, I don't want to get too much into it because it's obviously a very raw kind of um, subject, but I just wonder what was something you learned from Scott and what was something you, you took from him as a person? Uh, oh, where to begin? I mean, like, um, I mean, he was a wonderful, warm and generous person. I don't know, did you cross paths with Scott in your time? No, I was kind of no. too too young. It was kind of, right. I was very was, much into he, the music, but. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that's how our friendship started. Is I was, we were on the same kind of career trajectory at the same time. We were on, we were on the festival circuit in the states together one summer. I just got into their music. Scott had no fucking idea who I was, and every day I found their dressing room and just kind of hung out with him. And he, I think he was like, "Who is this motherfucker?" Um, until we became friends. Um, we, the nature of our friendship was such that like, there's not that many people who do exactly what I do for a living. Do you know what I mean? And Scott was one of them. And and it's almost a relief to come across, do you know what I mean? Because it means you can compare notes. And we saw each other a bunch, but we had long phone conversations into the night discussing like, you know, what, what's your label making you do this week? Or, you know, uh, do you want to murder anyone in your band or <laughs> whatever it might be? And it was and it was cathartic in a, in, a, in a lot of ways. But like, um, I mean, musically, I mean, first of all, he's one of my favorite songwriters ever. Um, it's also worth saying something, and this influenced the album, Be More Kind, enormously. Um, it, they were talking about um, uh, pedestrian verse and about the way that one of the approaches, Scott, I saw uh, um, an interview, he mentioned this, and we talked about it uh, together afterwards, but he was sort of saying that they kind of wrote the songs and almost like tried to cover them themselves, as it were. Do you know what I mean? To, to Because when you do a cover, you try and find a different heart to a song and and i've done reworks of a lot of my own material over time and it was and it was a really interesting idea to me to write a song and then almost imagine that it's already been out or write and arrange a song imagine it's already been out for like five years and like oh if we were going to do the alternative version of this song what would it be like and to do that right at the beginning and that was a a really really interesting and fun creative process and we did an awful lot of that on be more kind which um was very directly inspired by them i mean also you know scott had a kind of to me i mean weirdly quite a lot of my favorite lyricists are from north of the border um and scott had something in common with aiden moffat for me from arab strap who's one of my favorite writers ever which is that there's a certain and to a degree i feel like you have to have a scottish accent to pull this off perfectly but there's this kind of like sort of like raw brutality to the lyric of lyric that's so brutal it's almost got a wink with it do you know what i mean like um that kind of sardonic wet almost yeah, I mean, it's just, it's like, it's so fucking in your face that you almost have to laugh. You know what I mean? I think to Renato Moffat, he's like, you know, I got drunk and told you I was thinking about a test and you laughed and said I'd fuck anything in a skirt once I'm a wreck. It's like, and you hear that and you're like, did he just say that like out loud so that other people could hear it? I mean, holy shit. And Scott had, you know, legions of lyrics like that. I am armed with the past and the will and a brick. I mean, holy fucking shit. That is... That is a lyric right there. God damn. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, broadly speaking as a songwriter, I mean, I, mean, I it's funny when, whenever people ask a question about influences, I, there's a part of me that feels I'm, I'm sort of supposed to say like Neil Young, um, you know, and sort of old classic. And I'm a huge Neil Young fan, but like an awful lot of my influences are much more current than that. Like for this record, it's undeniable that idols played a role in the sonics of this record because I think that they're incredible and I've been listening to them a lot. And similarly, you know, whilst Scott and I were contemporaries, like I listened to his records religiously, you know, and, and took a lot from them. The way that you close this album to, you look at the idea of you leaving London, 
which mm. was something he thought you would never do. You have mm. that line, I got tired of London, I didn't get tired of life. Yes. Was that something that was always clear to you when you were in that moment, discerning those two separate things? Uh, well, I mean, the first thing is that's, that's a reference to the Samuel Johnson line, you know, when a man is tired of London, he's tired of life. And I wanted to kind of flip that around a little bit. I think that um, it was a surprise to me when the thought first kind of crossed my mind, or I should say crossed our minds, because my wife and I <laughs> make our decisions together. Um, uh, when the kind of and, and it was related to the pandemic, because London essentially closed. Um, and it was related to the pandemic, because finances were an issue. <laughs> my job got made illegal for two fucking years. Um, and all these kinds of things. But the other thing is, as I talk to you right now, I can see the sea. Um, and that is a huge deal for me. I've always loved the sea. And um, it does positive things for my mental health. But so when when the idea of leaving first kind of floated, I was sort of shocked to discover that I wasn't shocked. Do you know what I mean? It was just kind of like, I think I might be alright with that, actually. Um, and uh, you know, we we found our spot. And it was just like, almost it reached a point where I was more gung ho about it than my wife was, which I think we both found very surprising because I had been the one who was like, I'm London till I die. Um, and maybe what this means is that I'm a changeable individual. But um, uh, <laughs> somewhere in this, we get back to what I was saying earlier about phases of life and acceptance and all the rest of it. I had a fucking great time in London. I mean, I had my bad times in London too. Good, goodness knows. But you know, I want to look at that with with affection um, and be able to kind of move forward into another thing. And actually, one of the other things I've gone deeply off piece here. One of the other things for me is that, like, um, you know, I, I now have the space to have a recording set up in my house. Well, in in in, in a shed in the garden, and um, you know, I feel like I'm in a place in my life now where I kind of. I know who I am and I know what I want to do creatively, both for myself and producing for other bands. And I want to get the fuck on with it. Do you know what I mean? I want to just like proceed with my art rather than staying up till 5am at squat parties or lock-ins in Camden or whatever it might be trying to figure out who I am. I kind of know that now and I just want to get on with making my art. We began this conversation by talking about the history of oceans and we've kind of wrapped it up with you sitting by an ocean. Mm. feels quite fitting, but yeah, man, thank you very yeah. much. I really appreciate it. That was a really I, nice I, chat. I enjoy our chats every time because they're considerably, uh, I don't want to do anybody else down, but they, they, reach, they reach an intellectual pitch, which I enjoy. Thank you very much, man. No, it's always a pleasure. <laughs> awesome. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 